chapter 8, and I want to continue this journey on the rise of sonship, and I want everybody to say this with me, the crucible of sonship. If you don't know what a crucible is, I'm going to give you the really simple definition. A crucible is a test. Anything that's a crucible represents a test of something. It represents an opportunity to demonstrate that something exists or doesn't. The crucible of sonship is the walk that people walk that identifies, that declares, that reveals whether we are a son or whether we are not a son. And some of those things that occur that bring us to that place, um, it's, it varies. For every single person, it's different for each one. But I can tell you, and I want to begin with this, and I also want to say this real quick. I want to thank Matt for this. Isn't this pulpit beautiful? He made that out of the trees off of our land. And um, I'm, that's just craftsmanship. And I, I want to say, Matt, thank you. I love that. But to, be, to come to a place, and it's important to me that you understand before we can move forward with sonship, because my goal today is to teach, to teach. There's parts of this that I can tell you right now I'm going to be very excited about, and I'm going to try not to um, preach it. I want to teach uh, what is in my heart today. I'm going to make that attempt um, because I want you to get what he's shown me over so many years and what has changed me over so many years and I promise you it will change you. I'm going to tell you today, first of all, that there is a part of sonship that has been a word to this house for many, many years, almost since the very beginning, real close to the very beginning, the foundation of this ministry or the formation of this ministry. And that has been the bridge of offense. Years, many years ago, I taught on the bridge of offense. The bridge of offense is that place, and I'm just going to put it real in, in short words this morning, short story form. The bridge of offense is a reference point to the disciples that were listening to Christ teach in John 6, and he basically, and I'm really, I'm, John 6 has a lot of words, and I'm breaking that down into a simple thing. But in John 6, if you want to read it later, you can, but he's teaching the disciples, and he said this. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my, well, let me back up. Up until this time, they followed him blindly. I mean, they were connected to the anointing in Christ. The disciples, the followers, this isn't just the twelve, this is the many. They were connected to the anointing in Christ. They sensed that there was something supernatural about this person. And we're going to follow him un until the very end is the drive that's behind each of them. Well, they get to this place where he says this. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. And then there's a retort that says, how can we eat your flesh and drink your blood? And he says, you eat my flesh and you drink my blood by having relationship with me and receiving the things that I say to you. And then it goes on, and he continues to go further and further, talking about his father, their father, who they followed and who they didn't follow and what they did. You have to read John 6, and, and I don't want to get into all the details of it right now. But at the end of the story, somewhere around verse 52, 53, he says to them again, he says, unless you eat my flesh, again I remind you, unless you eat my flesh or drink my blood, you will have no part with me. 
If you cannot accept that I come to you with words of life, an opportunity to change, then our journey's over. And then verse 52, 53 says this, says, And then many, after hearing this, many of his disciples, let's point out that they were disciples. After hearing this, many of his disciples walked with him no more. It was a bridge of offense. Probably one of the biggest separations, one of the biggest dividers, one of the biggest uh, hindrance in the kingdom of God being able to confront sin and the nature of sin and the world. One of the biggest challenges is division, and division is always formed out of offense. Someone gets offended, and they share that offense with somebody else, and they share that with somebody else who wasn't even offended, but they remind them, well, you should be offended. What do you mean it doesn't bother you? It should bother you. If you love God, it should bother you. And they share that offense, and they share that offense, and, and then it comes in and divides. One of the biggest hindrances, this is one of, if not the, biggest hindrance to the church be, being able to present a united front to the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of God is fractured because of the inability to cross the bridge of offense. People will hear the truth, but not the truth they want. They will see the truth, but not the truth they look for. They will, it, they will accept that these truths work for him, but they don't work for me. They work for her, but they don't work for me. And they're not able to cross that bridge of offense. And many of his disciples in John 6, 52, 53, that area, many of his disciples then walked with him no more. It's important to know this, those who did. Everybody say, those who did. Those who did cross the bridge of offense were born again. In their mind. In their spirit. In their passions. In their understanding. In their hopes. In their dreams. Those who did cross that bridge and found themselves looking around and suddenly seeing the masses have now abandoned him because they were offended by some, in their mind, outrageous thing, yet nothing more true than those words, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. And they looked around those who did cross and they look around and they see suddenly the crowds have been dispersed. This crowd went and started that church that preached everything except for that truth but any truth that doesn't have that truth that Christ spoke as its foundation isn't a truth at all. But those that made it over the bridge, Zeb, those, Isaac, who made it over the bridge. Those, Ivy, who made it over the bridge. Those who saw it, and maybe, maybe, like so many others, were offended even by it. Wow. Eat your flesh and drink your blood? That's not even possible. 
Maybe offended by that. I don't like what I see. I don't think this is right. This can't be godly. We thought you were the son of the living God. And now you're telling us we have to eat your flesh and drink your blood? And that was in them. And yet, in the middle of the, uh, they walked. I'm crossing anyway. Because what isn't clear to me today, what I've learned about walking with this man Christ, is it will be clear to me tomorrow. And I don't follow him because I understand all things. I follow him because I have faith in his word. I have faith. I believe he was sent and I believe he was sent for me. And if he was sent for me, then what I'm going to hear, certainly he sees in me things that need. I want to teach Steve. He sees things in me. And I'm going to let him change me. So I'm crossing this bridge. And I dare anyone try to stop me. I'm crossing this bridge. You can get in my face and say, you shouldn't, you shouldn't accept that. You shouldn't receive that. That's blasphemy. That's this. That's heresy. That's whatever. Blah, 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 blah. I dare anybody get in my face and say, don't follow that man because that man is yada, yada, yada. He's saying things you've never heard before. Eat his flesh. Drink his blood. Can't, it's not even possible to do it. I dare anyone get in my face because my, my words to you would be, get out of my way, devil. It doesn't matter how much of a believer you think you are. You're a liar against the truth. And once you've identified yourself as a liar against the truth, I have no company with you. And here lies the challenge. Too many among us today have company with those who are liars against the truth. And in your company with liars against the truth, your mind and your spirit are constantly bombarded with doubts, with non-truths that ultimately begin to corrode and begin to water down what is truth. So today we're going to talk about the crucible of sonship. We're going to talk about that journey. We're going to talk about what it means to get to that place where we're no longer simply good Christian folk. Oh, I'm a good Christian. I'm a believer. What makes you that? Well, I read every day. I pray every day. Oh, is that a believer? I would say, I have known and I know people who have read none, have prayed little, but are closer to God than those that read much and pray a lot. Because they've learned to trust in the life giver, not in the road map. So, the idea of the rise of sons is this. It is time again, because I have not taught this in a very long time. And there are a lot of people here today that were not here when I taught this a long time ago. But the idea here is to remind you that have forgotten, to awaken you who have been sleeping on this thought, or to enlighten you who have never known. That God did not create you. God did not send you. He did not breathe into you. 
to be anything other than a son. It is his desire and it is his hope to say about you what he said about Christ. And that is on any given day, at the conclusion of any given moment, he could turn to you and he could say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And when I say son today, I'm not talking about the male person. I'm talking about the living person. I believe much of what we experience today, just you may have a hard time receiving what I'm about to say. I can't help that. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to try to sort out what, what is easily acceptable and what isn't. I'm simply going to preach and teach. But I believe much of what we suffer today, depression, fear, anxiety, hopelessness, all of these things are the fruit of a lack of sonship. If I don't know who I am in God, how is it possible to access the Spirit of God that is in me that empowers me to overcome all things? Now someone might say, well, these are medical issues. You can excuse whatever you want to excuse. We can choose to say, well, it's because of this. I'm going to tell you today, if I know who I am in God, There's so much joy in Him. I cannot find anything to frown about. At least not as a lifestyle. Is anybody hearing me today? So I want to read today. I want to begin in Romans chapter 8. And I want to begin with verse 14. And then I'm going to actually do... You know, if I were going to call this uh, another addendum to this, the rise of sons, the crucible of sonship, I would would put on here uh, the prequel. This is the prequel, and uh, because there's a sequel coming. But so this is the prequel, and it will make sense in just a moment. So let's read in Romans chapter 8. Let's read it together. Follow along in the app if you so choose. I'd, I'd appreciate it if you would because you can also take notes, and that's very important so that you can look back on this. Listen, when I put those notes in there, I put almost all of the notes that I have in there so that you know exactly where I'm coming from. Now, as I teach... There's a lot more that you're going to hear because there's a lot more in me. But I put that in there so that you can follow along and you can go in in the middle of the week, you can look at those notes and you'll still have that reference point. Okay? Here's what it says. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 beginning there says, For all who are... Everybody say all. All. Boy, that's all inclusive. For all... Everybody say all. All. who Who are led. Now suddenly... We've limited the all-inclusiveness. <laughs> Suddenly that great big number just became a little bit smaller. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are... Oh, I didn't hear a lot of enthusiasm in that. And I, and I, need, I need you to understand today... Well, let me tell you this, first of all. Let me help you understand this. There's nothing wrong with saying you are a son of God. For those that have come from a religious background that you are positioning yourself in a place where you don't belong, let me tell you today, shame on whoever taught you that. 
God birthed you. You would not even be alive if it were not for him giving you life. So, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are, everybody said, sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, you received it for some other reason. We're going to talk about that today. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And if you read this in the original text, it reads a little bit differently. It says, I did not give you a spirit of slavery. That is not what I awarded you. That is not what I put in you, breathed into you. But you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have what I gave you was the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Original text, sons of God. And if sons or children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided, everybody say provided, we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Wow. Strong statement. Now, in order to help you understand this, we're going to go back a little bit. I want you to go back to Romans 1 very quickly. Let me just, this is not in your notes because this is, wasn't in my notes either. But I want to go back to Romans 1 and I want to read something here. It says, I'm going to go to Romans 1 and then I'm actually going to jump over to a a part and portion in Romans 6. So bear with me because I want to bring understanding to this. Because here Paul is speaking to a people who are both being changed by Christ, being redeemed. They're coming into something new. Um, I'm trying to simplify this a little bit. He's speaking to the Romans, this gathering of people who are anxious, who are excited, who are being stretched, and they're coming into, bottom line, they're coming into something new. So let's go back uh, to Romans 1, and I want to start by reading in verse, um, 7. Let's start with verse 7, very simply says this, to all those in Rome who are loved by God, and you are called to be saints. Simply, simple as that. I'm writing this letter to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn over to Romans chapter 6. So we know that he's writing this letter because he knows and he believes with all his heart that God loves them. Right? God loves you, right? Does God love you? Yes. He loves you. If he loves you, hold your hand up. You know he loves you. Okay? If you think he hates you, hold your hand up. I didn't look, so at the end of the service, if you held your hand up, I'm going to believe you're going to change your position. In Romans chapter 6, Paul begins to address them, and he talks to them about slavery, and he begins to uh, slavery from a different perspective. It's important that, you, again, you see this. Verse 15 says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but instead we're under grace? Absolutely not. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient, Slaves, you are still slaves of the one you obey. 
No matter how you present yourself as a slave, you're always going to be a slave. You can doctor it up, you can make it fancy, you can put makeup on it, but you're still a slave. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of, obedi- or of obedience, which leads, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. I'm trying to make you aware, he said, because I understand that you're new to this. So there's some things that you don't get. But I really want to do this in such a way I want to take you on a journey. And this is my point. This is why I went back to Romans 1. says he's speaking to all of those who God loves. And then we get to Romans 6 and he's beginning to winnow that down. And he's beginning to say, now I'm I'm bringing this, I'm I'm tightening up the circle a little bit. Because I want people to understand something. I'm, I'm about to bring you something a little more heavy. Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now I want you to present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We're going on a journey. First of all, you need to know this in Romans 1. God loves you. I want you to know above all, God loves you. And I'm talking to anybody that God loves, which is everybody in the room. And then by the time he gets to Romans 6, he says, now let's talk about two different rules, two different laws, two different ways that you could be counted as a slave because you understand a slave mentality. I can tell you today that I'm talking to people that are in this room or watching online, wherever you might be. There are people in here that really understand a slave mentality. You get that. You understand and you believe with all of your heart, if I will jump through this hoop, if I will do this thing, if I do this right, if I say these things enough times, if I pray this many minutes or hours, if I do all of these things, then I'm righteous before God. There are people, again, under the sound of my voice, make it clear, that in every sense of the word, you are operating and you live by a slave mentality. When you do it all right, you feel pretty proud of yourself. But when you do one thing wrong, you feel like God is looking for a way to crush you with his thumb. That's a slave mentality. Instead of being a son, somehow you've allowed yourself to become something other than that. Believing that God is looking for a reason to discipline you. But let me make this clear. When we move out of a relationship from slavery into sonship, what we begin to understand is God is not looking for a way to discipline you. You need to hear me this morning. Yahweh is not looking for a way to discipline you. He is not looking for, you, for a way to crush you under His feet. He is not looking for a way to condemn you. He is looking for a way to lift you up. Because above all things, God wants to be exalted. Above all things, God wants to be glorified. Above all things, He wants His Son to be recognized as the only door to Him. Above all things. So He's not looking for a way to condemn. To condemn. He's not looking for a reason to rebuke you. He's not looking for a way to make you feel guilty. He's looking for a way to get you past your guilt, to get you past your shame, to get you past your feeling of, if I do one more thing wrong, he's going to kick me out of the house. And many, under the sound of my voice right now, you live with your bags packed because you expect at any moment he's going to ask you to leave. Because you are just waiting. To feel in your spirit that God can't love you anymore because you are just that bad. And you've accepted 
Because of what people tell you, you got this one in this ear and you got someone else in another ear. You've got all these people in your ears and they're telling you, man, I know you say you love God, but man, you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this. I used to do that to people. I used to remind them all the time. You can't say you love God and do that. I was bad. They were probably closer to God than me. Because I'm throwing all my rules and all my regulations and all the things that I knew. It's all I knew to do. So I did what I knew to do. But I'm thankful for the day that God sent somebody into my life that would teach me otherwise. I'm thankful for F. Nolan Ball who came into my life and began to bring the truth to me and began to help me understand. Stop it. God's not trying to find a way to kick people out of the house. In fact, what He's doing actually is He's decorating their room. He's setting them up. He's preparing a place. Not on some ethereal street of gold, but in this right here and now. He's preparing a place for you to be able to manifest and to demonstrate that He is glorious and to be glorified. So here's Paul. So Paul recognizes the crowd that he's meeting with Scott. He recognizes, he understands where they've come from. They've come from the law. Most of these people have come from the law. Everything is about killing the right amount of animals, shedding the right amount of blood. Everything, they come from that perspective. Going to this place at a certain time of the year or one time a year or multiple times of the year. So Paul's dealing with all of these thoughts and all of these people that are, again, coming from people that, even, that aren't even associated with that. They had no relationship even with the law that was Jewish tradition. Gentiles among them. But they were aware some of them trying to do what the law had done in Israel, trying to recreate that in their own selves, trying to get closer to God. And Paul says, I recognize the crowd that I'm speaking to. So I'm going to begin in the first chapter of my letter. And I'm going to just first of all let them know, people, God loves you above all else. Simple as that. God loves you. And then I'm going to begin to take them down the road and I'm going to help them understand why God loves them. In chapter 2, I'm going to begin to define the difference between law and sin. In chapter 3, I'm going to define this. In chapter 4, I'm going to define this. He gets to chapter 6 and Paul begins to uh, uh, point out to them and helps lead them to a place where now they, they are beginning to hear him and he's saying that you, can, you have a choice today. You can be a sin a slave of sin, or you can be a slave of righteousness. But Paul says something interesting about why he says that. Let's keep reading in, in Romans chapter 6. Let me make sure I find my place. Having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. What were those natural limitations? They could only judge what Paul was saying by what they had previously heard. Paul had to come to them. Their limitations were that they were not yet a people of faith. They did not see why God created them. They just saw themselves as created, and these are the things that we need to do to be in relationship with the one who created us. you hearing me this morning. And then he goes on, let me wrap this part up. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So I want to turn your attention, Paul says to them, 
away from being slaves to sin and begin to focus on becoming slaves to righteousness. And then he has, then you follow along in chapter 7. I'm not going to read all of it. You can read it later. In chapter 7, you see him continuing to take them on a journey until we get to chapter 8. Again, verse 14, I want to read this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Suddenly he begins to put emphasis here. All who are led by God, who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery. He just told them, you're either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. And now, he gets to the point where he's taught them, he's led them on a journey. I, I understand that. I understand the journey. I, I try. I don't always succeed. I don't always do well because I'm human. But I do my very best to make sure that I've heard clearly the word of the Lord and understand the crowd that he has sent me on any particular day, even this morning. I do my very best when I look around this room to understand where each person is to the best that I'm able by Holy Spirit. To understand what they know, where they've been, where, where they might have been, what they might and might not know. All of these processes going on. Paul's doing exactly, exactly the same thing. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. The spirit of adoption is not an idea. It's Holy Spirit. You need to understand that. You've received Holy Spirit who will make clear to you that you are more. Listen, you are more than you think you are. If you have any inclination to slavery, either to sin or to righteousness, let it be known today. That is not the plan of God for you to be a slave or enslaved to anything. We're going to dive deeper into what that means. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. When sons rise up, hear me this morning, when sons rise up, which is what I'm praying that this word Holy Spirit has put in me, causes there to be a rising up of people in this, in this family. I'm declaring there's going to be a rising up. People are going to begin to identify with who they actually are and set aside the old identities that kept you from being who you're supposed to be so that you can move into places you've never moved into. You've seen other people walk in those places. You've watched other people walk in the confidence of being a son. And you've desired it and you've had a passion for it, but you've never achieved that. I'm believing this. Sons are rising up. Under the sound of my voice. Sons are rising up in this place. Sons are rising up online today. Because when sons rise up, you know what happens to the slaves? They suddenly have hope. When sons begin to rise up, when people who know who they are in Christ, when they begin to rise up and they're not ashamed of it, they're not ashamed to be called a son. And they begin to live like a son, not like a condemned victim. But they live like a son, proud that God has spared them, saved them, changed them, healed them, delivered them, set them free. Yes. Do you know what it does when sons rise up? Suddenly, all those bound up in slavery, whether it's slavery to sin or even slavery to righteousness, slavery to the law, suddenly they begin to see. And they begin to have hope and they begin to say, that's the way. That's the hope that I've been looking for. 
Let's talk about all who are led. In verse 14 it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Say that with me. All who are led, who are led by, the Spirit of God by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I want to break down this particular passage in Romans chapter 8 into three different sections. All who are led, Abba Father, what does that mean, and the crucible of sonship. And I want to try to do that uh, this morning. Uh, if not, we'll finish it uh, next week. It says, all who are led, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led. Now I'm going to ask you to ask yourself this morning. Don't do it out loud, just ask yourself. Do you feel like you're led by the Spirit of God? Don't nod your head. Just answer the question to yourself. Do you feel like your decisions, your choices, the moments you have every day, what you've been given, do you feel like you're led by the Spirit of God? Or do you feel like you're led by the news? Or do you feel like you're led by your emotion? Or do you feel like you're led by the stock market? Or do you feel like you're led by the weather? Or fill in the blank. So what I would ask again, and I would ask you to, ask, to answer yourself, do you feel like you are led by the Spirit of God? Do you feel like that what you do day in and day out, you do not make decisions because of what you see around you? You do not make decisions based on circumstances. You don't make decisions based on how much money you have or don't have. You make decisions because you are led by the Spirit of God. And you understand that being led by the Spirit of God means that there is a wisdom available to you that is outside the framework of the human mind. You understand that. So he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. But I, in order to be a son of God, then I must be led by that same Spirit of God. And I want to break this down into a really simple way to say that again. And it says, For all who are guided, everybody say guided, guided, and governed by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are guided... Two words, and governed by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Now, I don't know how you're guided, and I don't know how you're governed. I know some. I don't know all. But I don't know how you're guided. I don't know how you are governed. I don't know what you submit yourself to. But you do. You do. And it doesn't even matter what pretty face we put on. It doesn't matter how we deck ourselves out. It doesn't matter how high we lift our hands or how loud we sing our songs. Only you know how you're guided and governed. Only you know whether the song you're singing really loud or the hands you're throwing up really high are to hide something or to celebrate something. Only you know. Only you know. But I want to tell you something. When I lift my hands up high and I lift my voice up loud, uh, out loud and I raise my voice and I'm singing or I'm shouting hallelujah and I'm very... I'm very animated because I love it man we sing those songs I want to yeah floodgates open wide or heavens open tour open wide whatever however those words are I'm man I'm just doing it because I'm seeing it man oh heaven is tore open wide and I want it to be wide man I'm gonna get it as wide as I can and you know filled within me I'm just doing all the because I'm just envisioning that in my world I want to tell you I'm hiding nothing I mean, in every sense of the word, I'm hiding nothing outside of my nakedness. I'm hiding nothing. I have clothes on, but I'm, I am celebrating with my loud words and with my upheld hands and with all of that, I am celebrating. Man, I'm a son. Now, see, I can stand before you today and tell you that I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I was a sinner. Then I was saved by grace, and now I'm not a sinner. 
Now I'm a son. For all who are guided, everybody say guided and governed. By the Spirit of God are sons of God. So to be governed is to be under the authority of whatever that is that's governing you. Now when I say that, under the authority, well, it sounds again like, well, now you're talking about slavery. Well, I'm doing this because of the traditions that you're comfortable with. I say it that way just as Paul did. I say it that way. You are governed. You are under the authority of that that you're governed by because that's what our mind understands. If I use simple language and say you are under the authority, you are governed by this, the mind understands that. I can equate that to something. So I'm, And most would say I am under the authority of God. But when you say it, when you say it, when most say it, it's not the same kind of authority that He intends you to walk in. Most say it. I'm under the authority of God. He controls my life, and yet He does not. I'm under the government of God, which means He controls my every move. He controls my every thought. He decides where I go, where I don't go, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, and that is not the authority that God wants to disseminate to His sons and His daughters. The authority that He wants you and I to have is not the kind of authority that says you're going to go here, you're going to go there, you're not going to go here, and it's telling us... The authority that He wants us to walk in is this authority. One thing, one simple thing, one simple thing. I receive you as Abba Father. You're my daddy. And out of that relationship, all good things will flow. Are you hearing me this morning? To be governed is to be under the authority of, but not as servants of slavery instead of servants in a sense. And this is what Paul was talking to, uh, servants of righteousness. Religion serves. In religion, we serve as slaves. That's easy to do. I can tell you religion requires it. I was in religion for a long time. And there's probably still parts of me that are religious. But I'm thankful that because I'm a son, whenever one of those things come up, Yahweh's really quick, or Holy Spirit's really quick to say, out. That has no place here. You need to vacuum the rug because this is not, this isn't, it's like, a, it's like a flea in the carpet. Get that thing out of here. You need to set the bomb off. It's probably not a good choice of words, but you need to, you need to exterminate. In religion, we serve as slaves, but sons serve in honor unto righteousness. Always, always. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those who are guided and governed by the Spirit of God. Those who, are guided, those who put their trust in, Father, I trust you. I believe with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind. I am a son and you are my daddy. And I look to you. I put my trust in you. And I am not going to, listen, I'm not going to beat myself up. Because I miss this thing or I miss that thing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come to you as a son. We're going to talk about that right now. Abba Father. I'm going to come to you as a son. Not as a slave who broke the law. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? In verse 15 it says, Abba Father. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. See, Paul now takes it a little bit further. He says, now we're going to eliminate the whole slavery concept. We're going to eliminate that whole thing. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received instead the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Which means Daddy. 
We have some friends of ours that they completely, always, totally, 100% of the time, you'll never hear them say God. They are always going to call Him. They're always going to refer to the Father as Abba. Whether they're talking to somebody in conversation, whatever, they will say, and Abba said this, or Abba's doing this, or we love, and, and I love that. I actually do love that. Um, I got to tell you, in the, when I first heard it, I thought, man, it's kind of it's strange. You know, Abba, it's kind of strange. But then as you begin to figure out and dive into and see the true meaning of Abba, it's another level of relationship. It's transcending formality. I love it. My kids will tell you I love it as they were growing up and they would call me dad. They call me dad now because they're adults, but they still call me daddy from time to time. But when they were little, I didn't want to be dad. I wanted to be daddy. So I trained my kids or we trained our kids. Here's a treat if you can say no. <laughs> say daddy, say daddy. No, we didn't like that close but we taught them I'm daddy I'm daddy because there's something about that daddy and when my kids were growing up I was daddy and still from time to time I'm daddy now when I'm daddy now it means that they need something (laughs) that's right that's right But I taught them, I'm daddy. So he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Daddy. Because I have that kind of relationship with him. I can come to him in my PJs. I love my PJs. Listen, I look forward to it. That part of my evening every night after dinner, I go in there and I put my PJs on. That's my, I, I just love that. Anybody, can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? Is this a little too personal? I'm a PJ guy. I love them, man. I eat dinner, put stuff up, and I go straight to the back and I put my PJs on. And I want to come to him in my PJs. And I want to come to him in my suit. I want to come to him however I am, and I want to come to him in this relationship, Daddy. Not this formal thing where I feel like he's so far off and I have to stand way back here and I'm, or I'm going to violate his space. God's space is my space. His space is son's space. What parent would say to their son or to their daughter, this is my circle. Never ever step into my area. No. What does a father love? A daddy loves. Man, when those kids run up and grab that leg and squeeze that leg, man, I love that. I missed it for a long time because they're all big now, so they don't grab my leg anymore. Now my grandbabies do, or grandbaby, and the other one will. But they'd run up and they'd grab my leg and they'd squeeze it. Man, that's, a, that's endearment. That's saying this to me. When a son or a daughter knows this is daddy, there's no reason I can never come to you and wrap my arms around your leg and just squeeze you tight because I know that every time No matter what I might have done this morning, I might have spilt the milk, I might have broke the glass, I might have scuffed the wall, I might, whatever it might have been, I can still come to you, I can still wrap my arms around your leg, I can squeeze with everything I've got and say, oh, 
Daddy, I love you. And I know what I'm going to get in return is my daddy reaching his hands down, putting them under the pits of my arms and lifting me up and taking me in and giving me a great big squeeze like only daddy can. That's Abba. Now, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. See, that relationship, now, now let me give you a different perspective relationship with my children. What if they spilled the milk, they broke the glass, they scuffed the wall? Dad comes in from work. I used to love it. I'd come in from work. Every time I'd come in from work, my kids would come running to me. Every time. All of them. In fact, I'd be at work, and they'd be sending, when they first got their email addresses, I'd get all kinds of emails that were completely misspelled, didn't know what they meant, but I knew what they wanted to say. But what if those same kids that loved to come to me no matter what, they spilt the milk, they broke the glass, they scuffed the wall, they came to me no matter what, and they had no fear of coming to me because I was daddy? What if those same, same kids lived with a mentality? Oh, man, I broke the glass. It's dad's favorite glass. So when he comes home today, I'm going to be hiding in the closet. I wonder how many under the sound of my voice today, you hide in the closet, you do something wrong. You went somewhere you shouldn't have. You said something you shouldn't have. You, whatever it was something that just poured out all kinds of guilt on you, or somebody else made you feel bad about some, some choice that you made, might not have honored God, but even in your moments of dishonor, He's never asked you to go find a closet to hide in. Because daddies don't do that. But you know, if you have a son spirit, or a slave spirit, if you're looking for a closet, or you're looking for a leg, which one is in me? No matter how my day went, no matter the choices I made, no matter what I did, it's my fault. I understand, I recognize that I did some things that maybe I shouldn't have done. But maybe I did some things I'm, he, should be proud, he would be proud of too. So no matter what this day held, I'm not going to a closet. I'm running, I'm grabbing my daddy, and I'm going to say, Daddy, love you. Knowing this, when my daddy looks at me, he's not looking at me because of what I've done wrong. And he's not looking at me because of what, what I've done right. He's looking at me with endearment because I'm a son and because I wasn't afraid to come to him as a son. Do you hear me today? So the Greek word for slavery is doulos, which means this. It describes what was once known as an indentured servant, which means it is when a person swore their allegiance to someone to remain in their service for however, amount, however much time until they paid off a debt. So if you correlate that, because that word slavery throughout Scripture, or in the Second Testament for sure, that word slavery, as I said earlier, is mentioned numerous times in all but two, I believe, doulos is the Greek interpretation of that word slavery, which means, which interprets in the Greek, it interprets as an indentured servant. Someone who has, in their mind, come to the conclusion that they've done something, they have inquired or they have acquired some measure of debt, so now they're going to go to whoever it is that they're giving their loyalty to, their uh, servitude to, they're giving it to them for a certain amount of time until they feel at peace because they've paid off that debt. See, you know what the problem with that is? The problem with that is you can never pay off your own debt. 
The problem with coming to God and saying, I'm coming to you, the reason I'm coming to you is because there's so much in me that's not right and I've, I have so much debt, so I'm coming to you to be, to, so that you can wipe out my debt, but when that debt's clear, I'm gone. The problem to coming to him in that way as a slave is that when the debt is gone, so will you be gone. If I come to him believing that I am capable of relieving my debt because I go to the right person at the right time, then at another right time, when the debt is paid, I will feel justified in walking away. That's the mentality of a slave. When do I get my freedom? At what point am I paid off? But the mentality of a son is, with all of my debt, with everything that's in me, whatever might be there, I come to serve Him, not as a slave that comes with debt, but as one whose mind has been completely transformed and renewed. And I recognize that everything I will ever need is in the Father. And even when my debt is paid, which it has been, can I just remind you of that? Even when my debt is paid, I'm not looking for a way out to do it my own way again, but I'm looking for a deeper way in. In Matthew Henry's commentary, I loved, I loved this part right here because it says in verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I pulled this out of Matthew, uh, Matthew Henry's commentary this morning. This is the explanation of that. It says, many speak peace to themselves to whom God does not speak peace. Peace be upon me. I'm at peace. I'm at peace. I'm at peace. And God hasn't spoken peace. Let me just read it. Many speak peace. To, this is referring to verse 16. Many speak peace to themselves to whom God Himself has not spoken peace. But those who are sanctified have God's Spirit witnessing with their spirits in and by His speaking peace to the soul. Though we may now seem to be losers for Christ, we shall not, we cannot be losers by Him in the end. In other words, whatever mindset is present in me right now in slavery to Him, let it be known that I cannot, shall not be a loser to him in the end because at the end of this thing, I am positioning myself to no longer come to him in fear because slavery produces fear, but I'm coming to him as a son because in whatever condition I'm in, when I see myself as a son, I can come to him, I can again lay hold of his leg and say, Daddy, Daddy. I love you even in my darkest hour and in my brightest hour. I love you not because of those hours, but because you are daddy. When we are born again, and let me just say this. I think the word born again is so loosely used in the church world today. Used in such a way that and I think we're going to dive into this a little bit more next week. But the idea of being born again, which isn't an idea, it's a principle that Christ shared with us, explained to us. But it's become so watered down in the world today 
I need you to hear me this morning. I need you watching online to hear me today. The idea of being born again is that somebody simply said, Jesus Christ, I repent of my sins, forgive me, and then we're born again. And we have so dumbed it down. But what Christ was asking for was not that you simply say, forgive me of my sins, as though your ticket's been punched. But Christ was saying, when you come to me and eat my flesh, again, John 6, I encourage you to read it, and then you drink my blood, then, when you receive Daddy, when you receive Him and accept Him and see yourselves as sons, being born again is that change that takes you from the mindset of slavery, whether outside of God or even in God and through religion. To be born again is to be set free from all slavery mentality. So I'm going to make a strong statement. If in you or in me, if in any of us, there is any sense that I'm outside of God because I can't keep all the laws. Man, I'm just trying and, and there's guilt. Every time I do this, every time I, I just and then I feel like it's not even worth praying anymore because God doesn't care anymore. He's not going to listen to me anymore. If you're there, you're not born again. You've not yet been born again. You've been invited into something, but you've not yet come in. You need to hear me today. Because when you dive into what Christ is saying and when you dig deeper into what Christ is saying, He isn't asking us simply to come to Him and say, get rid of everything that's behind me. That's slavery. What He's saying is, I want you to be born again. In other words, come into me and everything that's behind you and everything that's in front of you that you don't even yet see belongs to me. I hope you're getting it. But when we're born again, Yahweh legally... Legally, legally in the heavens, in the courts of heaven, changes our relationship with Him from slaves to sons. Bam! Done. Dad, I want you to see your son. Dad, Abba, I want you to meet your daughter. They came to the realization, they came to the revelation today, they belong to you. They're not coming to you anymore as slaves. They're not coming to you anymore wearing all this weight and all this guilt and all this shame. They're coming to you as a people who are hungry for more. They want to know you. And in the middle of all of those things that might not look pretty, their heart for you is to honor you. Now some might say, well, you're really excusing things now. You're just telling people just to be who they are and do what they do. Yep, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Stop faking it. Be exactly who you are until He changes you into who He wants you to be. Stop faking it. And stop judging the people on the other side of the church because they don't do everything as perfect as you do. Only to find out that your perfect ways aren't perfect at all. They're perfectly imperfect. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Verse 17 says, And if children, if we're children, then we're also heirs. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided, this is the part I want to point out, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Man, whoo, this is the crucible of sonship. This is it right here. All those other things, those two other parts I talked about, becoming a son, getting out of that mindset of slavery. I would ask in here this morning, and again, I don't want you to raise your hand or even nod your head. I don't want to know, but I want you to know. How many of you think you're slaves in this place this morning? 
you see yourselves as slaves. I wonder how many sitting under the sound of my voice you're thinking this morning, this is the first time I've heard any of this sonship stuff. I've been living with a slave mentality for a long time. I want to tell you today, as long as you're in a slave mentality, you need to keep this in mind. Slaves live in the worst conditions. The least amount of food. Slaves can't dream. Slaves can't hope. Every, every, every decision's made for them. Slaves can't have passion. Sons have inheritance. Everything that belongs to the father belongs to the son. You need to understand that. You cannot be a slave and inherit. Some are wondering why, 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 why am I, what, what, you know, here I am and, and I'm, all this stuff is going on because you still see yourself as a slave. Today I want you to get past that. I want you to be delivered from that. I want you to get past that mentality of a slave. You're not a slave. You need to look, look at me. I'm going to try to look at everybody. You are not a slave. You are not a slave. You are not a slave. You are a son. 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 There's something to be said about getting there. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Consider from the dawn of creation there was a crucible of sonship. From the very beginning of time there's always been a crucible of sonship. There's always been something that brought us to the place where we would be sons. And when you are a son and you, are, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am a son today. I'm a son because no matter what is said on that bridge, I'm crossing over. No matter, no matter what happens on that bridge, I'm crossing over. I'll bring your attention to several. I wrote down here, I put them in your notes as well. Adam and Eve, Noah, Moses, Gideon, David, Jesus, the disciples. All of these examples that I put in your notes this morning, each one of them, Yahweh gave each of them instructions. When they followed those instructions, when they went through, did they do those instructions? Did they do those out of love and honor or out of fear? For what reasons? Did Noah build the ark because he was afraid if he didn't build the ark, God would not love him? No, he built the ark because he trusted. Even what he didn't know in, at one time to trust. Gideon. All the people he could have had. Did he allow some to go, some to leave, some to do? Why did he do it? Out of love and honor for the Father because he trusted the Father or out of fear? If I don't look and see how this one's drinking or how that one's drinking, if I don't give opportunity, is he going to condemn me? Is he going to kick me out of the house? Jesus. He gave me instructions to go to the cross for all mankind. To be the salvation of every soul that would receive me. So am I going to go to the cross out of love and honor? Or am I going to go to the cross out of fear that if I don't go to the cross, my daddy is going to kick me out of the house? Track with me for a minute. No. He went out of love and honor. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to do it. Not my will, but your will be done. Because I love you and I honor you and I know that you are always right. You are always right. And the disciples, each one, whether it be not even just the disciples, pick anybody who came to Christ in the Second Testament. Pick any of them. Whether they were blinded and then saw, whether they met at a table with a prostitute, wherever it was, pick any of them. Did they come to the Father 
because they were afraid if I don't come to the Father, it's, it's going to be a bad day. Maybe it would be. But that isn't why they came. They came to the Father because they saw Him as Abba. They saw Him as Daddy. They saw Him as one who loves and He loves under every circumstance and He loves to the point where He leads and He guides and He's showing a way and He's delivering us from all that is evil. One step at a time. Not by law, not by rule, not by regulation, but by relationship. The crucible is a test of sonship. Just like I said earlier, that crossing of that bridge, that was a crucible. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I wonder who's going to make it. In the back of his mind, he must be thinking, I wonder who's going to make it. You think for a second. In fact, it even references it. He knew exactly that not everybody would be able to receive that word. And yet he did it. I'm going to find out who my sons are today. I'm going to find out who, come to, who, who it is that comes to me as a slave and who comes to me as a son. No matter who it is. Any of these that I mentioned before. Adam and Eve. Was it necessary that God put in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Was it necessary that He put that there? It was. Because it was a crucible. It was a crucible. Wonder what you're going to do, Adam. Wonder what you're going to do, Eve. See, because what I need to change the earth is I need sons. I don't need a bunch of robots. And I don't need a bunch of people who, who live in guilt all the time because they can't keep my laws and my rules. I need people who love me so much and know how much I love them that even when they break the rules, it doesn't change how I love them. And the day will come, they won't be breaking rules because they'll find out that honor, that honor changes your choices. The crucible is the test of sonship. It is the least popular choice. Oh, man, I can't even tell you. It's the smallest crowd, and it's the least acceptable and the most disposable. Even in this room, even under the sound of my voice today, there's people that's hearing this message of sonship, and you'll walk out of this room and never give it another thought. Never give it another thought. I, w I don't want to say that. But I understand truth just like Christ did, just like Paul did when he was speaking to the Romans. He knew that not everybody was going to walk away and believe and, every, and receive what he had to say. But sonship is the least popular choice because it's just easier. to. It's so much easier. I think Alex said it this morning when we were praying before we came out. It's so much easier to keep the rules. I feel better about myself if I keep the rules. Do this, do that. Let's see, what rule am I missing today? Let me go find out what's the rules. I'm just In case I forgot one or two, I'm going to make sure I'm keeping the rules. You can't keep the rules. I can't keep the rules. If for any reason, anybody in this room or anybody watching online, somehow you think I'm a perfect man because I'm a preacher, then I've not done a really good job of failing in front of you. Yet. But I'm not the perfect preacher. And I'm not able to keep all the rules. But there's never been a rule created that could judge me enough to know that I'm not a son. I'm telling you today, that crucible of sonship, it's a small crowd. And, it's, and as I said a moment ago, it's really easily disposable. Any of us in this room, we can take that and we can say, I don't, I don't need it. It's just, it's just more to think about. No, it's less. 
Because when you become a son, when you receive him and you say you come to the father as, you know what, daddy? This is it. And he's, you're going to be tested. And you know, that test is tough. As I said when we started, that's the thing that splits churches quicker than anything else. It's that whole offense thing. Man, the test comes. The test comes. Well, I'm mad at this one, and I'm going to the next one. I always know. When people come to this church from another church and they left that one offended, it won't be long they'll leave this one offended too. I always know. When they shake my hand and if they tell me, you know, I left that church because that preacher said this, that preacher said that, in the back of my mind I'm thinking, well, probably next Sunday I'm going to say something and you'll be gone, so it's good to meet you. Thanks for coming when you're here. It's good to know you, but I'm not going to lose any sleep over you being gone either. What, babe? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not losing any sleep over people who get offended and they decide to go somewhere. You know why? Because I'm a son. You do not determine for me. By law, if I live under the law, if I live under religion, my success, my ability to preach the Word of God, my ability to stand behind this pulpit is determined by whether or not you come and tithe. Whether or not you show up on Sunday morning. Do I want you to tithe? Yes. Do I want you to be here on Sunday morning? Yes. But that does not determine for me whether or not I'm going to honor the Father. If nobody showed up next Sunday and it was me and my wife, I'd rather that not happen. <laughs> but if it was my wife and me, do you think for one second that I'm going to look to the Father and I'm going to say, there's no way, you would not do this. No, I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw up my hands and I'm going to say, Father, you have a better way. You have a better people. They weren't good enough to make the journey. They didn't have the guts. They didn't have the stamina. They didn't have the wherewithal to make the journey. They couldn't cross the bridge. And I want to make sure when I get to the other side of the bridge, the people that are standing beside me are the same kind of people that would stand beside you, sons. I want to make sure when I get to the other side of that bridge, the other side of that river, the other side of that place, that valley, that mountain, whatever it is, when I get to the other side, I'm standing with sons. Sons that know who they are. And that rise up and we're not looking for a way to tear down, but we're looking for a way to do something incredible and that is to give hope and, and to be a, a person who speaks life and peace and joy and points people back to you. Sonship is the least popular choice and it's always the smallest crowd. Always. Again, because we're, we become so comfortable in our keeping of the law. We become so comfortable in that. Man, but what happens when transition happens? I long for the day. Listen to what I'm about to tell you right now. I long for this day. I've said this before, but I'm reminding you. I long for the day that formal appeals for salvation are supplanted by people who cannot stop themselves from asking, what must I do to be saved? I've had people that have left the church, this church. We've had people leave before because I don't give altar calls enough. I just wave. There's about 400 churches within a 10-mile radius that will do it every Sunday. And those people that are coming down to that altar will be there that day, and then they won't be there the next. But when a people will stand up and say, what must I do to be saved? Not because we've induced them, but because the Spirit of God has induced them. If we induce, if we impose... If we tell stories of fear, because religion's based on fear, you might walk out of this room and when you get in your car and you drive out on 46, you know how busy it is and there's a devil out there just waiting to run you over. 
I got news for you. There's no devil out there on 46. I didn't see him this morning. He's not out there on 46. I'll tell you where he is, though. He's in your mind reminding you every day that you're a slave. He's not on the street trying to run you over. He's in your mind trying to run you under. Every day. There's a place in him called sonship. And I can't wait for people to lift their hand, and it's happened. And I'm going to share it real quick because I know. Did you raise your hand like 30 seconds ago? Well, let me, let me, let me, well, I've got a few more things I can share next week, but I want to share this. I was preaching in a church, I've shared this before, but for those of you that never heard it, I was preaching in a church before I met my wife. I was evangelizing, I was here and there and everywhere. I was religious. I did what I knew to do. I was a slave. I had not yet become a son. I didn't understand that. Nevertheless, I'm thankful that even in the middle of all of that futility, God was able to use me in one particular situation. I was in this church in, I think, outside of Chicago, somewhere up there, way up there. And I was preaching a week-long revival, and I get there, and I'm preaching this meeting. And as I stood up, I opened up my Bible, and it was Father's Day. And I opened up my Bible, and I read the front of the Bible. There was an inscription that my father and my dad had written in that Bible. And I read that, and by the time I finished reading that, all I could hear were people crying, sobbing. And I'm going to tell the quick part of the story. There's really amazing parts that I'm going to leave out. But I hear people crying and sobbing. There's probably close to 300 people in this particular church that day. It was actually evening, that evening. And I hear all this commotion, this noise, movement, and crying, and I'm looking down and I'm reading. I finish reading. I look up, and there's no, but not one person sitting in their seat. Not one. Every single person in that building, every single, 100% of the people were either laying on the floor or kneeling down at their chair. There was not room to walk. And just like that, I lift up my eyes, hadn't said a single word, hadn't preached a single word yet. I'd read that note, but hadn't preached a single word yet. And there was a man sitting in the back. And he said, yells out, I want to know God. I long for that again. 